All right. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to Young Adult Catholics, a podcast for young adult Catholics. My name is Janelle. I'm Daniel. I'm Pam. And today we have a very special guest with us, as you can see on the screen. This is Mr. <laughs> Anthony Lynn. He is in St. John Seminary in Camarillo. He's currently in his second year theology, um, fourth year overall in the seminary. Prior to this, he graduated from Cal State LA with a BA in social work. And God willing, he's going to be ordained in 2024 for the Archdiocese of LA. Nice. So we'd like to welcome you, Anthony, and pass it on to you. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I guess to introduce myself a little bit, uh, besides what Janelle said, I grew up in Orange County uh, around the Garden Grove, Anaheim area. I pretty much grew up in a cradle Catholic family. Both my parents are practicing Catholics. I went to Catholic school for eight years, so that's kind of like my faith formation growing up. And then in high school, I went to school in Western, where I actually met Janelle, and that's how we knew each other since oh, then. Not Call of Duty. And then in college, I was involved with my um, my church choir. So my parents are both in a church choir in Norwalk, which is in St. Pius X, which is kind of like the edge of LA County. And um, basically, I was kind of basically grew up in that kind of home where the faith was always very vibrant. My parents were always practicing. And so I was very fortunate to be in that environment because I knew classmates, even from Catholic school, whose parents didn't really keep the faith very well, or they're just kind of like your Sunday Catholics. And so it was, it was nice to, I was very fortunate to have that faith formation. What led me to discern a vocation to the seminary? Uh, I didn't really think about it very seriously until maybe college, because even though I grew up going to Catholic school, it didn't really seem to strike me as like, oh, I should consider vocation because at nine years old, very few of us actually think that far ahead. We're just thinking about, okay, where am I going to go to high school? And even in high school, you know, what am I going to do for a career? Like even in college, a lot of people don't really know. But for me, I think what was something that fueled the interest was what was going to motivate me intrinsically, meaning what am I going to find fulfilling for my career? Because I didn't want to just go to a nine to five job and then just go home. Like I want to do something that actually made me want to get up and go to work. So that's what drew me into social work in the first place, you know, working with people, journeying with them in their lives and trying to help them out wherever they could. And that kind of, I got that interest from my dad because he was actually a social worker for the Child and Family Services. And he told me a lot about what it was. And he, you know, he told me that, you know, this kind of work for him was very fulfilling in his heart. And so I knew, okay, that was something more or less. I wanted to do something with that. Um, and the money was just a way to like pay the bills and keep me alive and keep a roof over my head. Um, and about, I think now five years ago, I went to Vietnam for the first time. And one of my dad's old classmates, who is now a priest in Vietnam, one of his former students was a pastor in the countryside of Vietnam. So we're talking like hundreds of miles outside of the city. And he does a lot of work with the indigenous folk out there who basically they live in these like, you know, settlements with like no street name, no paved road, none of that. And so I got to stay there for a bit because I kind of wanted to see the countryside of Vietnam instead of just the city. And I remember being out there, you know, he's working with these people. He didn't really have a lot of material goods or wealth, but yet in his heart, he felt this fulfillment and it was really nice to see that. And then at the parish he was staying at, there are kids who live there and they would go to school nearby because their parents would send them there because these are like farmer kids. And so they would stay like in a separate house in the back of the church. And during the day, they would like help with the parish, just cleaning and serving and that sort of thing. I remember just hanging out with them and they were, even though like they were poor kids, they probably never met any other, any foreigner for that matter. And yet, you know, they're very happy. And I thought like, wow, that's, that's really cool. Like that's, that's what I want. Like I want something like that for my career. So that kind of made me think more like, you know, maybe I should consider uh, the preset as vocation. I mean, but I, I guess looking back on it, 
the seed was kind of planted maybe even when I was in Catholic school, because during the summers I would go to St. Michael's Abbey for summer camp. So they had a summer camp that for young boys to attend week by week. And so like we play sports and that sort of thing, but we'd go to daily mass. We played the rosary together. And at the time I didn't really think too much of it. I just thought, well, this is, you know, fun. But looking back, I guess that's where the seeds of the vocation kind of started. And then when I went to Vietnam, just kind of reliving that experience of just being in community, just being happy with the way things are, not really looking too much at, oh, I want to do this career because I have to, or this is what everyone else is doing. So you got to do it. And so when I came back and I finished college, I discerned and I talked to the priest at my local parish, who's now a pastor in Gardena. And he helped me fill out like paperwork and all that stuff. And he said, you know, whatever you need, just let me take care of it. You just pray and really discern the vocation and be open to God's will. And, you know, one by one, one thing led to another. And now I'm entering my fourth year at seminary. Wow. Amen. Amen. I know I'm just smiling the whole time because we need more priests. We need more good and holy priests. I try. <laughs> We're all trying here. We're all trying here. Yeah. Well, I know Kian was like really interested because she's social work. Like that's her specialty. Yeah. When you said social work, I was like, "Ooh, that's what I'm doing right now." But I'm going into my master's right now. I'm in. I'm entering my second year, so I'm about to do the field work part. So before we're gonna dive deeper into the topic of celibacy, and by the way, thank you so much, Anthony, for sharing your discernment. I want to be a social worker, so. Even though you chose not to be like a social worker anywhere, confirms <laughs> my decision to want to become a social worker. But before we're going to go to the topic of celibacy, I'm going to bounce it back to Anthony so he can start to talk. Okay. Um, so you want me to continue with um, just what, what celibacy is, or how do you want me to go about it? Oh, you're going to pray. <laughs> oh, sure. Okay. So let us begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in us the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. O God, who did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by that same spirit we may be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Lady, seat of wisdom, pray Amen. for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the first question I'm going to ask, you don't have to define celibacy right now. Sure. <laughs> the that That's I fine. Ask is, when you entered the seminary and decided to become a priest, did you ever experience any kind of sadness or um, disappointment that you won't be in a romantic relationship anymore, or like um, with a human being at least, or um, that you wouldn't be able to date anymore? So, yeah, that's my question. Sure. No, it's a question I get quite often with most of my friends from our age, because a lot of them, they're kind of like you guys were talking about previous episodes. You know, you think about marriage and you're thinking about, okay, who do I, you know, you're dating and you're keeping these things in mind. But for me, I didn't really feel sadness because I couldn't date. I think if there was sadness, it was probably just dealing with loneliness. And like loneliness, not just like, oh, I can't date someone, but I guess even living in a community with 80 other guys and with faculty, you're still kind of feeling lonely because let's say you want to reach out to someone, but they have their you know, support group, they have their friends, they have their family that they got to be uh, not accountable to, but they, they have their group of friends too. So it's kind of dealing with that, I think was probably a bigger struggle, but definitely that like notion of, oh, I, I can't go on a date or if I, what if this isn't for me? I think that's probably another way I look at the question. You know, what if this doesn't work out? Because I do get that question a lot. Or some guys are like, well, what happens if you don't make it? And there are guys who do leave seminary to discern marriage or 
for a variety of reasons, but one of which is they want to serve marriage properly because they feel that after being in seminary long enough, they realize maybe they didn't give it enough thought. And, and so seminary was like a way in which they discern it and they pray about it and they live in community to kind of get an idea of well, what does it mean to give oneself to another person, to be a gift of self. But like, oh, I can't go on a date. I mean, that never really bothered me. But, I'm, but maybe for some guys it might because they've been in relationships and they remember how, how fulfilling that was. And then in their discernment, maybe they didn't go deeper with it or something. But uh, for me, no, didn't really bother. Thank you. Daniel, you have a question? Yeah, I guess diving into what are the fruits for people who don't know the faith? I'm like, what are the fruits of celibacy? Oh man, there's a there's a whole lot I could say about that, and I think Pope John Paul II in Theology of the Body, his whole section on continence for the kingdom, goes in great detail about it, among many other things. But I think probably the greatest fruit I would say is um, being able to love others openly as Jesus does, and what that is is uh, you, in a certain sense, you your calling to love is to be able to journey with people and to allow them to enter you to enter into their lives, into their sufferings their joys and just everything that they're and they're basically journey with god and you're kind of accompanying them in that and in doing so you learn to love them as you know as as, the, as god's children made in his image and likeness and so that in a certain sense it's freeing because it allows you to love them for who they are and to manifest christ's love so i think in the gospel of matthew when jesus says you are the light of the world you are a lamp to the nations it's this you know you're, you're in a certain sense carrying that love of christ wherever you go as a celibate and you're able to love freely. You, you avail yourself simply for the sake of the person. You love them for who they are. And it's, and it's, um, I guess it's very freeing in that way. Like you're not tied to anyone, not saying that relationships are like that, but your commitment is to, to love as Christ loves. And I think that's probably the greatest fruit and everything kind of derives from that. Um, how would you explain to a lay person? Like, why is it important that a priest is celibate? Um, so I get, I'm sorry. I was like, I don't know if you can get what I'm trying to get at. Oh, so why celibacy? Yeah, why celibacy? And so, so, um, I think in, in uh, Theology of the Body, I was reading the other day, um, I think, I forget which lecture exactly, but Pope John Paul mentions that in celibacy, you configure yourself to the person of Christ and that you're in your love for other people and the way Christ loves. And so with celibacy, it's, you know, Jesus as the bridegroom gives himself to the church as his bride. And so, so with the priest, in a certain sense, he's kind of taking the church to be his bride in the sense that, you, you know, he will be faithful. He will serve, look, care for the church as almost like his wife and the spiritual children that he has are, you know, the lay faithful in your parish um, and anyone who comes his way to seek, um, to seek Je- an encounter with Jesus. And so with celibacy, what it enables us to do, at least for any religious is to devote oneself fully to the love of God and to the mission of the church. So I think the other day, I think it was yesterday, we celebrated the memorial of St. Kateri Tekakulta, you know, Virgin and Martyr. And in evening prayer, the reading, uh, I think it was taken from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians in, I forget which uh, chapter, but he mentions, you know, the virgin is concerned with things of the Lord, whereas the married man is concerned with his wife and his family, because that's the calling to which he has been raised and in the building of the kingdom of God here on earth. So with celibacy, the religious and priests, they realize that end to which we're called with God, that is union with God here on earth by way of their, their life, you know, giving themselves to preach the gospel 
um, to love as God loves and to bring others into encounter with him while they themselves are living that encounter with God on the daily through their vocation. Sorry if it's a bit dense, but that's just the way I, that's the, what I've come across. Um, so if, for example, if we have single men who are listening to this video and they're like, yeah, I want to go to seminary, but I'm scared that I'm never going to be a woman again. I mean, do you have any words of wisdom or anything? Like, because I, I know some guys who are like, but I like girls. And I'm like, okay, but <laughs> how, do you like God? I don't know. Any, <laughs> words, like, any words of wisdom? <laughs> I think, I mean, the first most important thing is a daily prayer life and a constant, you know, listening to the Lord. So it's, you know, so I guess like discerning, well, what is it that God is calling me to do? Or where is it that God will, how is God going to call me to be happy? And then in a certain sense, also looking even from a human level, well, why am I attracted to girls or what? I feel like this tugging for marriage. So kind of talking about it, doing some research bringing it to prayer uh, and then talking to, you know, a priest or seminary to kind of work that out and getting a second perspective on it. So just as like in any career, you know, you pray about it, you do your research, you ask different people in the profession. Well, okay, here's one area I, I would love to do, you know, for example, with nursing, you know, I love to do this, but I don't know about this part of the profession. You know, how do I know if I really am still called? And it's, you know, constant discernment and listening. And then at a certain point you just, you know, you, you make the choice and say, okay, well, if this is where God is calling me and it might be difficult, okay, I, I give myself freely and from there allow God to work through it because there's a certain point where I think, and I've noticed even for myself, there's a certain certainty that we can get to by way of reason and we trust that God is leading us this way, but he also calls us to pick up our cross. And part of that cross is you know, dying to self and allowing yourself to free your, getting rid of those desires or integrating them in a way that allows you to go deeper into the very heart of who you are as a man or as a woman and where God calls. So I guess, you know, for guys out there, it's constant, you know, praying about it and then finding a good community of brothers to share that uh, group with. So in a lot of dioceses, they'll have discernment groups where they'll meet with the vocations director and other men and you know, they'll meet and they'll talk about their vocation and just kind of where they're at, what's pulling at their hearts as far as discerning a priestly vocation or what are the struggles. And so, there's always a community out there. So I think it's just opening up and allowing yourself to be faithful to what God is, God is calling and just wrestling with the, and allowing yourself to wrestle with those thoughts. So all the questions that we had regarding, but there are additional questions from those who ask questions through the Instagram story that we posted the other day um, where people just send you a message questions they have for you. So one of the questions was, how often do you think about your family while in the seminary? Oh, all the time. Um, but it's not like a, oh, I really miss home, but just I, it crosses my mind, you know, how are my parents doing? So in my case, I'm the only child. So I, I pray for my parents. I, you know, I wonder if they're okay, if they're doing well. So I, even during COVID, you know, I was wondering, okay, are they, cause they're, they're in their sixties. So I was wondering, okay, are they eating well? Are they, are they safe? Um, are things okay for them? So, I, I mean, I, I pray about for them all the time, but we also call once a week. So I, I set up something on like uh, on Viber or like FaceTime and we just talk and catch up. So, but as far as missing them, like I wouldn't say like I have a homesickness or anything like that because I know they're close by in Orange County. They're about an hour and a half away from the seminary. But I think about the guys who let's say are from like Mexico or their families are in another state or even another country. You know, so I think about their situation. And so I wonder how they, but then I, when I talk to them about it, 
you know, they say, well, with the power of technology, we can call and catch up. So it's not too bad. But um, I think after a while, the homesickness thing, I got, I kind of got used to being away from my parents for a while. Because during the day, during college, I would drive to LA every day to go to school. So I was already kind of used to doing things on my own. And, but I knew, you know, my parents are home so I could be there. And then over time, as I entered seminary and I lived here, I got used to things and they got used to living without me. So the homesickness wasn't really there. But I think that's, I owe that to the fact that I really do try to go out of my way to talk to them and catch up with them and let them know how I'm doing. And the fact that I'm doing fairly well, I'm still here. And it's overall, I would say I'm very content with where I am. And that gives them a certain sense of peace as well. So that homesickness feeling didn't really, didn't really bother me. So it's good. For our audience too, that um, Anthony, he is at St. John Seminary. It's not a close community, so he's allowed to talk <laughs> to other people. That's why we're like interviewing him right now. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And because of COVID, we've used the internet so much around here, like for meetings, like some of our professors, they live off campus because they're late, late people who teach. So we've had to do Zoom meetings, Microsoft Teams, all that sort of stuff all the time. So it's nothing new for us. <laughs> I have one. Um, sure. What would be your advice to, sometimes not most people do end up going down the path of uh, marriage, right? What would you say to our friends our age, 20s, 30s, like the benefits of practicing celibacy in your relationship and how those fruits will show in your marriage? So, I was listening to a Jason Everett video with Matt Fratt and he was saying that um, with like, I think with abstinence, it's like preparation for marriage because you're learning how to live, love, live with someone and while integrating your sexual desires. So you don't look at your partner as this object for your sexual desire, but rather a subject in which you grow in love. And, you know, I guess so that when you live with them, you know, sex is just, I guess, like one aspect of it, but it, but it draws you into the deeper mystery of the person's being. So with um, celibacy, it allows you to, I guess, at the very least, it allows you to confront your, the, the temptations that are drawing in your heart about, or the things that might hold you back from truly loving and loving to the fullest. Because I think that's where, and it's the kind of that preparation ground, because once, you know, a couple enters marriage and, or I guess for me as a priest entering the ministry, the temptation just doesn't go away once the bishop lays his hand on me or when um, the priest says, you know, I now pronounce you husband and wife, you know, it's, it's, if anything, it's like preparation and it's cultivating that practice of virtue and the ability to, to grow in that virtue. And so, so it, and it takes, you know, no one said it was easy. I mean, Jesus, when he says, you know, take your cross, he didn't say that I'm going to take it away from you, but I can lighten the load for you and, and give it some meaning and allow me to help, um, you know, make this easier for you, but also help you grow because that is what God wants from us, that he allows us to, to choose to love him. But in doing so, we allow ourselves to grow and overcome that temptation so that we may redeem, redeem our bodies. I think that's what they mentioned with, in theology of the body. So with celibacy, it's, or I guess abstinence, chastity, all that, those are intertwined in allowing us to kind of come to the depths of who we are as, as people and ask God for the graces we need to overcome those temptations exactly. And also to allow ourselves to be vulnerable as well and open up to other people. Because then a lot of times some guys might say like, oh, like I can, you know, I don't, there are guys who kind of struggle with loneliness at times because they think that they know they can overcome it by themselves or to them, I can't turn to anyone, but no, that's not the case. It's, we have people and it's, and it's a lifelong work. And I think sometimes we forget that it's, it's it doesn't just happen overnight or when a couple gets married. All right, that's it. If anything, it probably gets harder because yeah. now you've, you've given yourself freely. You've said before God and before witnesses, I promise to be faithful. I promise to this. So help me God. 
So like I said before about, you know, any vocation, it requires a lot of prayer and it constant um, discerning with the Lord and allowing yourself to enter that struggle and that, you know, wrestling with God. I think Poor Francis spoke about it a couple of weeks ago in his Wednesday audience. You know, a lot of times we enter into prayer, kind of wrestling with God, asking him for things we want. But at times, eventually we realize that we, more than anything, we realize that we're vulnerable and we need his mercy. But it is in that redeeming mercy that we find um, our greatest uplifting or we find our greatest fulfillment. And that's, you know, with God, we can do, we can do anything, but only with his help. And, um, you know, just being open to the graces of God and allowing the people around us to help us realize that too. So much. <laughs> um, no problem. Thanks for having me. I think a thought that doesn't come to everyone's mind is that, like, you still have to practice celibacy, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that comes into also just practicing. What I was getting at was like, I remember hearing this story of this couple who um, they do sex basically every single day. They do sex every single day. But as a result, it's really desensitized their relationship. and just the act of doing sex, the guy's like, oh, can we do it? And they're just like, yeah, let me just read the newspaper while you do it. Like, that's just horrible. Oh, I know, it's horrible. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> terrible. Yeah, that's just like one example. But yeah, thank you. I know we're wrapping up soon. We just have one more question, not necessarily related, but one more question asked by audience members. So do you have any irrational or ridiculous fears about possibly becoming a I don't know. Not really, to be honest. Like I'm aware that yes, the priesthood is imperfect because there are, because you know, priests is made of human beings and there are going to be times where we make really stupid decisions, borderline, even going against, you know, being unfaithful to our, to the church. But I guess an irrational fear, I don't really know of anything unless you have an idea of what that constitutes. Cause to me, it's like, there's always going to be a fear of uncertainty in anything we do, but like, Oh, well, will I be, a pastor that the people want am i going to be liked you know am i going to be able to get the money to build rebuild you know whatever the parish hall or whatever the case may be or like oh is this i guess international fear might be i guess the closest thing i can think of is like regret like did i really pick the right vocation because there i know that some there's you know i think studies out there with like priests like there are priests who do leave the ministry not because of like a punishment or like they were laicized but they in their heart really i guess they came to the conclusion that the whole time they were never really called to be a priest and they just kind of forced it in or they they repressed certain things in their ministry so i guess if there's a fear it's am i really being fully open before the lord but i wouldn't say that's a irrational but it's probably irrational but very very deep fear i guess i don't know i know i know we have to end this but if they leave the ministry does that mean like they're a lay person again is it like but isn't that like a sacrament? Like you're receiving the sacrament of holy orders. So, so as far as I understand, so the, the term they use is lay aside. You know, you, be, you give up your priestly status and you go back to, you know, being a lay person. But, you know, as Psalm 110 says, you are a priest forever in the order of Bekizedek. So, you, and that's an ontological change. Like that's the identity of the man. So if a priest, let's say, does get lay aside, like, yeah, he will, he loses his faculties as I think that's what they call it. So he can't, he, he'll lose the ability to celebrate mass. Like he won't be given things to celebrate mass, the sacraments. But I know in, I think in Canada law, there is an instance where he can celebrate again, but only in the case of um, death, like life. Let's say someone's dying and he, he's the only person around available to hear the confession and anoint them before they pass on. Like in that very moment for the salvation of that soul, you know, he can, you know, 
anoint them and forgive them of their sin, but only in that particular moment for the salvation of the person. But in terms of, I guess, day-to-day living, Alessai's priest, you know, he doesn't have a parish. He doesn't, um, he's no longer obliged to follow his duties as a priest. But as terms of, I guess, the identity of like who he is ontologically, he is still a priest because mm-hmm. what, because that is, that's like you said, it's a sacrament, it's permanent, but he loses, he loses the faculty, like the means to do it, to be, to carry out his ministry. And so that's, as far as I know, that's what happens. But I don't personally know any priests that are like that, but I'm aware that's usually what happens based on what my formators have told me. <laughs> I just text him in and I just have questions, so yeah. Well, that's fine. That's fine. So much for joining Thank us for today's episode. All this information for our audience members, we touched on theology of bodies, celibacy. If you have any more specific questions for Anthony, you can at him at, I'm just kidding, no, but, but you can uh, shoot us, you can shoot us a message, we'll um, connect you guys too, so that you can ask him questions and bug him just like I do. Uh, <laughs> just kidding, he's a pretty busy person, so I really thank you for that. Um, no, no problem, thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, if we could, we'd love to pray over you, Anthony, um, just end this uh, podcast with prayer as well, so uh, we'll begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, just thank you for this uh, beautiful episode talking about something so sacred and so pure, which is chastity, celibacy. May we all practice celibacy in whatever walk of life, whatever vocation that we're in or not in uh, yet. Help us to really practice this daily denial of ourselves and just choose your will of our. Help us to follow your will each and every day, knowing that leading us closer and closer to the sacred heart. We lift up to you, our brother Anthony. Uh, thank you, Lord, for his yes, his many yeses so far. Continue to help him to say yes to whatever you're leading to him, whether it is the priesthood, single life, or marriage, or matrimony, um, whatever it may be, Lord. Just help him in his struggles in those times where he's traveling those thoughts that he's wrestling in his head. Help him to always be chaste. Help him always be fervent in prayer. And help him to always trust. Trust in your guidance in each and every way and step that he's taking. His vocation. Lord, we just lift up to you all these prayers and we trust in him. We say, St. Michael, the Archangel, Lord, defend us in battle, be our protection and against the weakness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. All God's angels and saints, pray for us. Thank you so much. Thank you.